We have started a, uh, a new series entitled The Search for the Real Jesus. And uh, we're going to be using the book of Mark. Mark was uh, somebody who was a close companion of some of the very first Christians, and he was an early Christian himself. And so he's recorded his eyewitness accounts of uh, Jesus, who he was, what he did, what he taught, etc. Very close relationship, it seems, with uh, Peter, the apostle, a well-known person there. Uh, Mark also was the first account written before Matthew, Luke, or John, evidently. And so for many Christians, for probably at least a 10-year period, if they read a written account of who Jesus was, this was the only one they had. So uh, we want to go back and see if we can find the real Jesus. Uh, I'm implying by that title something that I hope is obvious is that Uh, We need to find the real Jesus. And in our culture now, maybe not surprising, it's been 2,000 years, hasn't it? But there's so many different ideas about who Jesus was. Uh, Not just people who don't call themselves Christians, but within Christianity. There's a lot of different feelings, uh, opinions about Jesus, who he was, what he taught, etc., etc., Uh, In fact, they're so different, if you didn't know that, that they can't all be right. So we're going to try to look for the real Jesus. I would encourage all of you, and I I want to include myself in that number, to, even though we've read maybe many times, looked at Jesus for many years, looked at the Bible for many years, to try to open our minds, open our hearts, to take a fresh look at Jesus. Uh, One of the things that I believe is that those of us who are most familiar with Jesus may be in the most danger of not really understanding him the way we should. And for all of us, certainly I include myself is, we want to grow in our understanding of who Jesus is. We want to deepen in our conviction about who Jesus was. And so uh, we need help, and uh, that's what we're here. We have the book of Mark to help us in this uh, thing is really, I think it was, uh, it was illustrated for me, uh, clearly again, the need that we have to, uh, to search for the real Jesus. Uh, my friend Curtis Can sent me a, a link, maybe some of the others of you got it this week, of a survey that he found. And the question on the survey was, what do you think Jesus would feel about Christianity today if he came back? If he suddenly came back, what would he think about Christianity today? How would you answer that question? You know, the, uh, the survey results were very interesting. They weren't particularly surprising. They surveyed people who believed in Jesus, who didn't believe in Jesus. They surveyed people who were young. They surveyed people who were old. They surveyed people from all different ethnicities. Uh, they, they surveyed Democrats. They surveyed Republicans. I know. I know. They surveyed all these people in every group, no matter age, ethnicity, political, you know, affiliation, uh, whether you're Christian or not, every single group, the vast majority, in the high 80% of people felt that Jesus would not 
If Jesus came back today, he would not be happy with what he sees in the Christianity today. Now, the fact that people who call themselves Christians and people who don't call themselves Christians, obviously there's a lot of us who, whether we want to admit it or not, whether we want to verbalize it or not, whether we want to say it out loud, we believe there's a problem. And so we're going to search for the real Jesus. We're going to read in uh, Mark chapter 1 here. And uh, like any good writer, when Mark writes his account of Jesus, the first chapter is a lot of, there's a lot of summary statements. In other words, he gives us a very clear idea of where he's going to go in the rest of his account. So I want to say that because uh, I want to encourage some of you, uh, we're not going to get too far in chapter 1 today. And I know some of you are worried. You're going to go, well, if this is all we've gotten to in two weeks, I wonder how, many, how, many, how long this series is going to be. <laughs> well, I want to encourage you that we'll spend a little more time in chapter 1 because chapter 1 really sets up the rest of uh, Mark in a, in a very important way. And I think it's good that we understand that. And it's good that we spend a little extra time in chapter 1. We started two weeks ago. Let's begin reading in verse 9, and today we're going to get all the way through verse 15. Yeah. Of course, two weeks ago, if you were here, we covered through verse 13. So if you do a little math, Eric, we've, we're only two more verses. That's right. But you're not discouraged, right? Because I already told you where we were going with this. You're going to come back for the rest of the series, aren't you? I know you missed two weeks ago. That's why I'm saying all this. Are you going to show up next week? You think so? Well, that wasn't very encouraging. I, I, I don't know about the rest. Of, I'm not inspired. But anyway, let's read what Mark says about the beginning of Jesus' ministry. Verse 9, at that time Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. That's the... Uh, we call him John the Baptist. He was a forerunner of Jesus, a prophet who went before Jesus to prepare the way for Jesus. As Jesus was coming out of the water, he saw heaven being torn open and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, You are my Son, whom I love. With you I am well pleased. At once the Spirit sent him out into the desert... And he was in the desert 40 days being tempted by Satan. He was with the wild animals and angels attended him. So already in this first lesson, we should be, we've learned some things. We should be encouraged about some things. Uh, Jesus was confirmed by God himself to be his son and that he was pleased with him. And so Jesus launches out his ministry. Yet the very first thing that happens is he is led out into the desert by himself for 40 days to deal with sin and temptation. So uh, what that teaches us already, and we're going to build on that today, is that sin is something that we all need to take seriously in our lives. Uh, we also could be encouraged because Jesus, through his prayer life and his uh, time there fasting, doing battle with Satan, he was able to overcome. Jesus can relate to us in our struggles. Jesus can relate to us when we're tempted. Jesus can help us when we're tempted. He's playing by the same rules as we are. Uh, 
Jesus could do miracles. Yet he never used his, the power of God that he had to protect himself supernaturally from sin and temptation. So in that sense, we are uh, exactly like Jesus. And he relates to us. So then let's go on. In verse uh, 14 and 15, such important words, the text for today. After John, that was John the Baptist, was put into prison, Jesus went into Galilee proclaiming the good news of God. The time has come, he said. The kingdom of God is near. Repent and believe the good news. So we'll stop there. It is uh, twice it talks about the good news. And this is pretty awesome. And it's really a summary of the preaching of Jesus, how he began his ministry. I believe it's very consistent with the rest of his ministry. And so that way it sets us up for everything that comes after this. And he says some things that should really be encouraging to us. He says the time has come. In other words, the world has waited for thousands of years. Since the creation of time, there's been a plan in place. And we read about the prophecy of the Old Testament. And we read about this Messiah, this new age that's coming, this great time that's coming. And now the time has come. That's got to be exciting. He says the kingdom of God is near. A new way of living where... We serve a God is our king. And we no longer identify ourselves primarily by our ethnicity or our nationality or where we live or our socioeconomic class. But we all come together in this beautiful new spiritual world where God is king and he rules. And he does a lot better job than we do. The kingdom of God is near. The time has come. It's near because... The time is approaching. It's near because Jesus has come to introduce us to the kingdom of God. And so he says, what we need to do is simply believe the good news. And that's awesome as well, isn't it? The power of faith that Jesus says our access and our opportunity to experience life as we've never experienced it before is there if we simply will put our faith in Jesus, if we'll believe the message, if we'll believe the good news. And it's good news. It's all about what God wants to do for us. It's all about how he wants to bless us. It's about how he wants to save us. It's about how he wants to give us eternal life. It's how he wants to give us the best life now. You know that, uh, I guess Joel Osteen, a noted televangelist, wrote a book called The Best Life Now. And uh, I guess he has a TV show, perhaps, it's called The Best Life Now. But that really is a good description of what God wants for us. And it's so encouraging. It's such a great message, and probably nothing there surprises. However, there is one word in this text. Marcel's over here smiling. There is one word in this text that I didn't mention that perhaps you might find that it's a little strange and a little odd that it would be included in all this good news. What word is that? Repent. 
Repent and believe the good news. This word repentance is a strong word. We didn't even remember if we've forgotten. It is a radical call to change our lives. It is accurately a change of heart, that a mind that leads to a change of heart, that leads to a change of life, and that our whole direction of our life, which has previously been going one way, is now going exactly the other way. Repentance. Yet so sadly today, we look about in our Christian experience today, it's almost like the word repentance is a bad word. Do you say the R word? Do you use the R word? Jesus used the R word. Jesus said the foundation call for anybody who would come in and receive all this good news is you need to repent of your sin. He didn't just say it one time. He said it all through his ministry. All the writers of the New Testament after him uh, said the same. All of his followers said the same. They preached the same. The word repentance is over 50 times in the New Testament writings. Whatever happened to repentance? You know, sadly, unfortunately, when many of us uh, think of the call to repentance, our first thought is of street preachers on the corners shouting con words of judgment and condemnation to total strangers. But that wasn't what Jesus was doing. That wasn't the ministry of Jesus. That wasn't the message of Jesus. Jesus connected repentance as a part of the good news. Are you following me here? Perhaps the word repentance is not one that we need to fear. Perhaps the word repentance is not one that we need to stay away from. Perhaps the word repentance is not one that we need to avoid. I wrote a few uh, questions down. Uh, I want to read them so I'll get them right. I could trust my memory, which is almost always impeccable, John. But just in case it's not. Some questions for us to consider. Is it possible that repentance is actually one of the best parts of the good news? Is it possible that the path of sin is really a road to destruction? Is it possible that the good news is that you can repent, not that you have to repent? You guys follow me here? Is it possible that part of what you need to believe if you're going to be a follower of Jesus is that sin is terrible, that sin was why Jesus had to die on the cross, that sin is what can keep us out of heaven, and that sin is what can destroy our best life now? Is it possible that's part of what we need to believe? That radical change of mind 
is that we take things that maybe we used to embrace and a lifestyle that we used to live in and that we could casually live in today even, and we need to renounce it. We need to make a decision, a radical change. Because we believe, by faith, we understand, even if our mind doesn't conceive it, we understand that the things that are called sin in the Bible are all the things that are simply destroying our lives. Is it possible that it is a gift of God to be able to see your own sin? Perhaps one of the greatest blessings that God has ever given us is the opportunity that we have to know and say our sin. Is that possible? I believe it is. You know, in Acts chapter 11, verse 18, just write that down. We won't turn there, but many years later, you know, you may know or may not know the first several years of Christianity, it was only Jews that Jesus ministered to, and it was only Jews initially that, you know, had the opportunity to come to faith. And so God had always intended for me to everybody else too. You know who everybody else is in the Bible? Gentiles. Us. So God has to step in and some miracles done, Acts chapter 10, Acts chapter 11. And then there's this great statement and, you know, God has to do some, some miracles to, you know, let the Jews know that it's, you know, Gentiles can be saved also. And so he does that, and they make this statement. So then, even gent God has even granted repentance unto life to those that are Gentiles. The part that's important is that God has granted repentance is a gift of God. It was a gift of God for the Jews. It was a gift of God for the Gentiles. It's a gift of God for us today. And that this is a repentance unto life. One of our biggest problems that we all have is that we're all still like EJ when he was 18 years old. We still think we got it figured out. We don't think we need God to show us the way to life. And Jesus comes along and goes, you desperately need to understand, or you need a radical change of mind. You do not understand what you need to understand about where to find real life. You know, it's, uh, it's so interesting that these Jews that Jesus was dealing with, in the messages of being preached, do you realize that in the word at that time, at the world at that time, there's no doubt these were the best, most moral people on the planet. Right? Because they had understood about the true God for so many years. They had the Old Testament. And their standards, even though they weren't what all that they needed to be, were way better than anybody else in the entire world. Yet to the very best people of that day, Jesus says, repent and believe the good news. You know, uh, I don't think you have to look very hard to see how we have ignored this message today. And here's your one main point for today. I know you're all waiting for it. 
The real Jesus calls us to repent. The real Jesus calls to repent of sin. You know, we don't have to look that far. You know, in, uh, in more traditional Christian faiths, many of them, they baptize infants. And that's how you come to Christ. And that's how you begin your connection with Christ. And that's how you come to salvation. And is it surprise? There's no understanding that an infant has of sin. There's no need to repent of sin. And there's no understanding of, the, of repentance. Have we missed something important in other in, in, in a lot of evangelical Protestant churches, a lot of you know this already. You know how you get saved? You come to the decision that in some vague, shallow, general way, you're a sinner. So in a moment, you pray and you ask Jesus to come into your heart. Acknowledging that you're a sinner. Well, let me tell you something. It's fine to acknowledge that you're a sinner, but if you don't repent of sin, that's not the same thing as acknowledging that you're a sinner. Is it surprising that there's so much hypocrisy? Is it surprising that there's so much of a lack of conviction and that Christian lives are, are not a light into the world and that everybody, it seems, understands that there's something desperately wrong with Christianity? Could this be where a good place to start? To get back to the original foundation message that true Christianity, the real Jesus, calls us to repent of sin. The sermon title today, I already gave you the main point. The sermon title today is The Gospel According to Jesus. Now some of you might know that is a great book, I think. One of my favorite books written by John MacArthur. The Gospel According to Jesus. If you don't know that book, in fact it's one of the books that I'm using in uh, preparation for these studies. And by the way, I put together a handout, a little overview of Mark and what we're doing here in our lessons to search for the real Jesus, some recommended reading. Uh, there's handouts up, they'll be here today and subsequent weeks. Handouts up front, handouts on the back. If you want to get, pick one of those up, read those books. The Gospel According to Jesus. I think we need to face up. You know, one thing that's for sure I believe about American culture today is we highly value self-esteem. In fact, it's not inaccurate to say we are a culture of self-esteem. Self-esteem seems to be more important and to rule over everything else. Well, the problem with that is, and there's right things about having self-esteem, but the problem is that what so many people do is, and the reason they don't want to look at the R word, and the reason they don't want to look at sin, is because they find, how can I feel good about myself when I've always got sin in my life that I need to repent of? We live in a culture of self-esteem. I believe for sure that's why many churches and many large churches don't preach about sin. Because they're trying to draw people and they know and they feel, hey, if I preach about sin, if I preach repentance of sin, people are going to stop coming. And they might. I understand that. I feel that. But you know what? If you don't preach about sin and you don't preach about repentance, it's not the real Jesus. 
It's not the real Jesus. How about instead of getting our self-esteem from desperately minimizing our sin and trying to feel as good as possible about who we are. How about if we get our self-esteem from Jesus Christ and from being in Jesus Christ and being a child of God and a disciple of Jesus? How about we get our self-esteem from the fact that we have made a decision to not live in sin anymore, that we've made a decision to seek it seriously, take it seriously. And even though we're not perfect and even though we're, we're, we're never will be, and even though we got significant ways to grow, still, we are growing, we are changing, God is moving, God is working in our life. How about we get our self-esteem there? Let me tell you, it's going to be a lot easier for you to find your self-esteem in Jesus than it is in your own goodness. You know, when Jesus said, you know, this message here, I think some of us are like, Jesus said, the kingdom of God is near. Repent and believe the good news. You know, if Jesus came around today, he probably wouldn't say that. What do you think? That was probably just for them. You know, those Jews were such awful people. You know, Jesus didn't seem to leave any qualifiers. The message didn't change when he did go out to the Gentiles. Jesus didn't change the message whether they were talking to the Pharisees and the teachers of the law and the people who are generally regarded to be the best people or the worst people. For everybody, Jew, Gentile, everybody, everywhere, there's one message, you need to repent. you got sin in your life that is killing you. You know, uh, perhaps to illustrate this, I'll, uh, I'll tell you a little story. I hope it won't be too long of a story, Rob, but I never really know. <laughs> Several years ago, Rob just said, keep it short. I think Mary Kay whispered that to him. No, it was several years ago. It occurred to me as I was thinking about this lesson. Several years ago, uh, some of the other ministry uh, brothers uh, we got together and we were going to take a retreat and we were going to go to Laughlin, Nevada. You guys know where Laughlin is? So this was during the early days of the LA church and uh, I had actually, we we're going to drive, a group of us got in a car, we were going to drive to Laughlin and uh, we none of us ever driven there before I don't believe or very few of us. So we're in the car. And uh, if you've ever driven out that way, you, uh, one of the ways you can go is you take the 15 north, right? You go up through Barstow, then the 15 continues on into, but there's a, pla if you're, there's a place where if you're going to go to Laughlin, which is in the southern part of Nevada, you gotta take a highway off of the 15 and head east and south. Are you guys following me there? But if you continue on the 15, you know where you end up? Las Vegas. <laughs> so we're driving along and you know, it may not surprise you, it's a, a group of guys, we all think we know where we're going. <laughs> I know that doesn't surprise a single woman in here. 
We don't need no stinking map. We don't need no Thomas guide. I know that's ancient history there. Now everybody just looks on their phone. I mean, this is a few years ago. But we are convinced. And so, so I remember we're just driving along and we're driving along the 15 and it just so happens I was driving. That's not an important part of this story. Some of you think it is. Bad hearted. But we keep driving on the 15 and I'm still looking for this road, this exit to the Laughlin. I, I knew the highway number and I thought for sure there'd be a sign and I never saw it. And so I just kept driving and after a while I started going to the other, the other guys, we were all talking, having fun and we weren't, we kind of lost track of time and I, I started saying, so are you sure we're on the right road? Oh yeah. Yeah, we're on the right road. All those, see what happens when you listen to other people? So we're driving along and then, um, I, I suppose it's still this way. I haven't driven to Las Vegas in a long time. These days I don't drive anywhere that I can fly to. I'm sorry. It is true. If I can get there by plane, I'm not taking a car, but anyway, so we're driving and so we just driving, driving, driving. And there's this one place, as I remembered on the 15, where you come over an, a, a grade and there's Las Vegas right in front of you. I mean, it's unmistakable, right? The tall buildings. And I go, I think that's Las Vegas. <laughs> well, sure enough, we had to get off. We had to turn around, go the other, exactly the other way. And we had gone out of our way by several hours. Anybody know that if I was up in Las Vegas and I had to turn around and get back down to Laughlin, we just added several hours to my trip, to our trip. Well, I look at this, I think in several ways, this could be an illustration of the spiritual decisions to repent that we needed to make. First of all, in that situation, I needed to repent. In other words, I needed to turn around and go the other way, right? I didn't make a minor mistake. It wasn't a simple course correction. And this is a problem when we're dealing with sin a lot of times. We so much want to feel good about ourselves that we minimize it. You know, a lot of time we call our sins, we call them mistakes. I make mistakes. That, that just sounds, to my worldly self-esteem, that's a lot more appealing, isn't it? Because that implies, you know, everybody makes mistakes. It's really not my fault. I didn't have enough good information. Uh, I was, it was just totally unintentional. Um, you know what? I made a mistake. We just need to forget about it and move on. Right? You know, if you believe in mistakes, then you're a mistaker. But if you are a, believe in sin, then you are a sinner and Jesus came to save sinners. Jesus didn't come to save mistakers.
He came to save sinners. But I need to repent. I need to make a radical change in my life. The other part that I think is equally important to illustrate what I've been trying to tell you here this morning, spiritually, is the road that I was on that was going to Las Vegas was not taking me where I wanted to go. I wanted to go to Laughlin. I didn't want to go to Las Vegas. And see, here's the lesson again. Sometimes we persist in our life of sin and we minimize our life of sin and we continue in sin because we think it's going to get us where we want to go, but it's not going to get us where we want to go. We're in Las Vegas and we need to be in Laughlin. See, the thing is, all of us want the same things. We want to have peace of mind. We want to have joy in our hearts. We want to feel love. We want to have great relationships. If we're married or in love, we want to, we want to experience something that's powerful and real and connecting. And if we're parents, we want to raise our children to, to, to be able to fulfill their potential and do great things. And, you know, we want to, we want to experience life. We want to, and then when we die and you know, we don't want to think about it, but we all know that day's going to come. And we're going to die, and if there is an eternity, and we do believe that there's an eternity, if my soul will continue on, I, I want to be with God. I want to be in heaven forever. We all want the same things. The only difference between us is what road we're taking to get there. Jesus says, this sin road, it's not going to get you where you want to go. And the other thing that I think is important about this story that maybe we could apply to our life is a lot of times we can be lost for a long time before we finally realize it. You see what I'm saying? We had traveled several hours down the road. We had missed that turn somewhere toward Las Vegas. But we didn't, we didn't know we were lost. Has that ever happened to you? I think a lot of us that's happened to. We were lost for a long time before we finally realized we were lost. You know, I remember when I, I'd grown up, you know, uh, in a Christian home and I had, you know, felt like I was a Christian and from what I understood, I believed in Jesus. And I was on this path, but there was a lot of sin there. You know, I felt guilty about it, but I didn't really talk about it much. And uh, I just kept trying to tell myself that it was okay. Have you ever tried to do that? Convince yourself that you're okay when in your heart you know you're not? You might never say it out loud. You might never share it with anybody else. But in your heart, you know... And then I came, and then I had the opportunity. I was a college student, campus ministry there, Gainesville, Florida, University of Florida. I had the first time, and I came to this church, and there were several things about this church was really different, I thought, from my Christian experience. One of the things was they talked about sin, and they repented of sin. 
And the thing about it was, they were the happiest people I'd ever met. Did any of the rest of you have that experience? I thought, well, that just makes no sense at all. It must be, there must be, there must be, the, there must be some drugs coming through the fellowship here. There must be something in that communion. Something in that juice, because I don't know how you could be so serious about sin, but then I, and, and be so happy, but then I started studying the Bible, and I started getting open, and I started looking at my own life, and suddenly this light came on. Any of the rest of you have that experience? And suddenly, I go, perhaps it's been the sin in my life that's been killing me. Perhaps it's been the sin that's been keeping me from experiencing the life that I want to experience. Perhaps repentance is one of the best parts of the good news. Surprisingly, we're uh, almost out of time. I want to mention just a couple more things. Freddie's going to come and share. Where's Freddie? Freddie is going to share his conversion story in just a minute. Don't come yet, Freddie. <laughs> you know, uh, I'll just say a couple more things. We all know that Jesus came to give us hope, right? To bring hope. Did you know that Jesus also came to take away hope? Jesus came to take away any hope that we might have that we are good enough to be saved on our own. Jesus took, came to give us, take away any hope that we ever have that any of us are anything but sinners. And we may be saved sinners, and we may be transformed sinners, and we may be growing sinners, but we are all there's, he took away any hope that we we're anything but sinners. But that's the good news. He came to save sinners. He came to rescue sinners. He came to empower us to be transformed and to change. You know, the, uh, the ministry of Jesus might be summarized best in just these words. The message that Jesus preached from the beginning that he still is calling us today. You are worse than you thought. But God loves you more than you can even imagine. It seems a paradox, but the more that we see our sin, the more that we understand our sin, the more that we repent of our sin the more grateful we are for the grace of God, the more in love that we are with God, the more impressed we are with Jesus. When you live on a foundation of God's love and grace, you don't ever need to fear repentance. It's not a bad word or something to be avoided. You know, whenever somebody gets married, we... Uh, Preachers like me frequently say something like, at the end, what God has joined together, 
let man not separate. In the message of Jesus, here's what God has joined together. The kingdom of God, faith, good news, and repentance. Repentance is not something you do one time before you make your decision for Christ. Repentance should be an ongoing experience that every follower of Jesus has. And it should be something that we embrace. So I have an assignment for this week. And it's simply this. For everybody here, I would encourage you to do this. Whether you're not yet a Christian, whether you're not even yet a believer, or whether you've been a Christian for many years, I want us everybody to consider to get with somebody and have a serious talk about sin and repentance in your life. That's for me, and that's for everybody else. That's the gospel. That's the good news, according to Jesus.